Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Monday, the 13th of January, 2020, depending on which part of the country you live in and you're, well, even if you care about football at all, you may either be rejoicing um, on this Monday morning or you may be sad. And so, um, you know, to the cheese heads out there celebrating with you down here in Nashville, uh, sure, rub up. it in. Rub it in. No, no, no. Rub I was it. just, Paul, I was just simply not going to say anything about the people who lost. I was just simply going to celebrate the victories. It, it, no, no, no. You, you just don't understand football talk. <laughs> that That's a, kind of a Minnesota passive aggressive thing you just did there, I'm you know? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's so unusual for us, though, where we live to have such a celebration. Um, the Titans are, you know, frankly, kind of a surprise. It's, we're, we're, you know, we're excited. We are very surprised. Up here, could you but... root for us? Maybe you could root for us because I think we're like way outside of your zone of knowing anyway. Well, there's that. There's that. Okay. Well, anyway, so uh, good morning to everyone. Um, and Paul, you're celebrating something uh, football related over the weekend that you're going to have to say yourself because I don't know how to celebrate it. What's not to celebrate? North Dakota <laughs> State University Bison! Eighth time national championship. Perfect season. Love my bison. Way to go, guys. Go, bison. <laughs> bison. Just so you say it I right. Said, bison. I, I learned it, man. Go, bison. There you go. Good. It's very exciting. Okay, so um, tonight is a uh, a big game in college football. I know that's happening. That may not be the headline news that you are paying attention to today. You may be paying attention to weather-related news, or you may be paying attention to um, news related to something happening in your immediate family or in your job. You may be paying a new, paying attention to news this morning that's only news in your own family. Like, I recognize that. Like, that's sort of the rhythm of life that we deal with. Um, and so even as we tend to the headline news of the day, I recognize that each and every one of us is actually paying closer attention and more concerned about things very, very close to home, um, things that are close to our hearts. And so uh, let me, you know, let me just acknowledge that and also acknowledge that God is as attentive to and concerned about the things that only you know are happening today, as he is concerned about that which is making the head, headline news both here in the United States and around the world. Uh, and so you may have a decision facing you today um, that for you is not only life-changing, but uh, eternity-impacting. And I recognize that. And so we want to um, want to acknowledge the sovereignty of God, his availability to you in that decision-making process. I want to advocate that you turn to the counsel of Scripture and the counsel of the Holy Spirit and the counsel of, uh, of other Christians as you seek to make whatever decision it is that is set before you. All right, we are going to turn our attention here in the opening um, portion of the program to a couple of headlines related to babies. 
Uh, and so it's baby day on uh, on Mornings with Carmen, at least for the opening segment. Babies are exciting and wonderful. And so we're leading off this Monday with babies. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Okay, so this morning, uh, we're just going to talk amongst ourselves. And in part, it's because sometimes there are there are headlines that I would just really just prefer to unpack with you directly. And so we're dealing today with um, news out of the CDC that the U.S. fertility rate has now fallen below the point where we are going to replace ourselves. So there's something in um, infertility numbers called the replacement rate. And the United States of America, according to the Centers for Disease Control, who is the one who tracks such things, uh, we have now, as a nation, fallen below what's called the replacement rate. And so when the U.S. fertility rate falls below what's called the replacement rate, um, it's another indicator that the culture is, um, well, frankly, this is the most simple way to put it, headed toward extinction. Like, and, and I know that... Um, you know, there's there's some people that are going to approach this and they're going to be very alarmist about it. I'm not going to be alarmist about it. I'm simply going to say, um, think about your own family and and those who you know best in the world. Think about your extended family and do the math. Just do the math. Um, my mom and I, uh, my mom is 81, um, and she and I did the math just related to um, our our family just in terms of like, okay, I have one sister, so my parents, you know, technically replaced themselves, right? They had two kids. Um, but those two kids only actually then produced two kids, right? So my sister and brother-in-law have two kids. I don't have any children of my own. So um, I'm I'm a part of the problem here. I'm going to go ahead and confess that. I have not participated in uh, replacing myself uh, or, you know, extending my whatever genetics to the next generation, right? It's not happening. So then my mom and I sort of did the math in our wider family. Um, on my mom's side, I have two cousins. No, that's not true. I have four cousins. I have four cousins on that side. And uh, let's see, two, three, four, five. I've got a lot of cousins on that side. So the Benefields have done a really good job. They have more than replaced themselves, like by twice as many, okay? So if twice as many in... The next generation following me on my mom's side. But on my dad's side, not the case. Not the case. More, uh, more than half of us did not have kids. And, um, and I think about, you know, some of the reasons for that. And I think about some of the genetics involved and some of the conversations we have on that side of the family. We have a lot of Alzheimer's present. We have a lot of cancer present on that side of the family. Um, and so maybe those are things that go on in the back of your mind that you're not consciously thinking about, but you're unconsciously um, recognizing as you either make the decision not to have kids or you find yourself unable to have kids for one reason or another. So I recognize these are complicated conversations. I also recognize that as a country, it matters. Like it matters when the birth birth rate falls below the replacement rate. So 2.1, 2.1 births per woman are needed for a generation to replace itself. Um, and so when we recognize that the United States of America is now at a 1.73, 1.73, 
that is a number below 2.1 <clears throat> for those you know up early on Monday morning and not yet ready to do math. 1.73 is lower than 2.10. 2.10 necessary for uh, the replacing uh, one generation to another. Uh, and so where are the declines happening? Well, the declines are happening for everybody under 34. So that's actually two groups of people. Teenage pregnancies have fallen 7% uh, just in one year. And uh, and then also the birth rate has declined for the age group of women 20 to 34. Now that 20 to 34 age group is actually the age group that, I mean, you know, to use a moralistic term here, should be having babies. That's the crowd who is, you know, at the at the best point in life to be having a baby in terms of their physical, uh, their physical health, the health of their eggs, their the ability of their physical body to reproduce another human being. Uh, it, it would be interesting to note here that the childbearing rate for women over 35 is actually rising. Now, that's called advanced maternal age. People who are over 35 having babies, uh, that is that is dealt with in the medical community as women of advanced maternal age. Well, women of advanced maternal age in the United States of America, actually women in their 40s and 50s, are having more babies. The, ba- the birth rate is rising. Now, it's still not rising to the replacement rate, but it is rising in that age group of people. And so there are lots of factors to consider in this conversation, but it is a conversation that we as Christians can and should engage in. God created the uh, the reality of humanity, human relationships, male and female, uh, brought together in the covenant of marriage where the two become one flesh. And when the two become one flesh, uh, they produce babies. Like go, go forth and, and multiply, right? Fill the earth. And um, and so having babies is actually a good and godly thing. Now, I also recognize that babies are expensive. I did read last week the same headline that you read, that the cost of having a baby, literally having a baby in America today, is between four and five thousand uh, dollars. After after insurance and everything else, it still cost almost five thousand dollars to have a baby in the United States of America today. It doesn't cost that much to have a baby most other places around the world, by the way. Um, and so the cost of health care is an issue here. The cost of child care is an issue here. The reality that we expect women to work um, and and as a part of the workforce on the same um, rate or pace as men. In fact, women in the workforce, opportunities for women in the workforce now outnumber opportunities for men in the workforce. So there's some confusion in our culture um, related to responsibility, mutual responsibility, the roles of, of men and women. Um, and so I just think that it's important for us to recognize we now swim in a cultural water that is um, that is feminism. There's no and I'm not saying that in a in a derogatory way. I recognize that I swim in cultural waters that are feminist and and ordered toward more toward women. I think that's a conversation we have to have as Christians. Um, and, uh, and you're going to say, well, Carmen, you work. Yes, I have actually always worked. I also did not get married until my forties. And, um, and I'm not saying that I regret that. This is the pattern of, of life that I have lived. Um, but I also recognize that I missed a great opportunity to be able to have kids if I had married earlier and, um, and that God had brought that into my life. He didn't. And so that's, um, it's a complicated conversation. I recognize that. I also recognize that from a Christian worldview, it's a conversation in which we must engage. 
It's a conversation into which we are called. And we're pro-life people, right, from conception to natural death. We have to be um, concerned about babies and children and women having babies and women raising children and all of the network of relationships that's required to do that, particularly as we witness and participate in the breakdown of the family as in terms of the way that God designed it. All right, I got to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to um, I'm going to talk about a threat to babies. I think that's the best way to describe it. Planned Parenthood is now opening clinics on behalf of the government in high schools across the country. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So one month ago, and again, uh, today, uh, just a reminder, today is the 13th of January, one month ago, um, and the first article that I saw was was in a local paper in California, but it very quickly, uh, news of this very quickly spread. And so um, by December 12th, that, the week of December 12th, um, there were articles all across the country on this subject. We didn't talk about it in part because... Um, I was sort of waiting to see if it actually happened. I was waiting to see if there was going to be like a massive protest against it. Um, no, in fact, now that the month has passed and we are in the new year, this is now actually happening. So what am I talking about? Planned Parenthood one month ago announced that it was going to be opening 50, 50, 50, quote, reproductive health centers in um, Los Angeles County high schools. So in the L.A. Basin, there are now uh, a half a dozen of these already open, but the pilot program calls for 50 of them to be opened in L.A. high schools. So let me um, let me describe to you what is going on here. Um, First of all, if you want to reach the next generation and you want to influence not only how they're thinking, but how they're living and you can get into the public high schools, you can get your curriculum into the public high schools, you could get your Bible into the public high schools, or you could get your Planned Parenthood clinic into the public high schools. Uh, Your ability to influence the next generation is pretty profound. So if you're going to reach the next generation, a great way to reach them. Now, some of you are going to say, well, the best way to reach them today is on social media. Well, yes, young people reaching young people, which is actually where this is headed, by the way, because guess who uh, Planned Parenthood is training as their sort of outreach ambassadors in these 50 high schools? That's right. They are training young people. They are training high school students to counsel one another, um, bringing their friends into the Planned Parenthood Reproductive Health Center Uh, and peer advising one another related to, quote-unquote, reproductive health. Now, wherever Planned Parenthood is, what else comes along? This is not hard to imagine. We have talked recently about Planned Parenthood's annual report just from last year. uh, Having performed, actually, they, they are publicly celebrating that they have performed a record number of abortions in the United States of America in their fiscal year 2018, 2019. Um, so with Planned Parenthood comes abortion. When they talk about reproductive health care in Planned Parenthood, yes, they are talking about preventing pregnancy, but they are also talking about abortion, ending pregnancy, ending the life of a human being. And some of you are going to say, well, um, first of all, that's California. Um, it's important to note it's not only being reported in California, it's being reported across the country. And there's a reason for that, um, because this is a pilot program that they would very much like to reproduce in school districts across the country. 
And this is a partnership between uh, public and private. So this is a uh, this is a partnership whereby Planned Parenthood brings the programming, but taxpayer money uh, or taxpayers bring the money. And the money's not insignificant. The Washington Post is reporting that this initial investment is going to be $10 million. Los Angeles County is investing $10 million, $6 million from Planned Parenthood over the next three years, but $10 million from Los Angeles County taxpayers. And in these centers, what's going to be happening? Well, quote, they will offer a full range of birth control options, testing and treatment for sexually transmitted infections and pregnancy counseling. Now, abortions will not be performed. Um, for the estimated uh, 75,000 teenagers who will be served by these by this network of 50, uh, quote unquote, I'm using this. I you know I, it's hard for me to call them reproductive health centers, but that's that's the language they're using. These Planned Parenthood ventures into public high schools uh, are going to serve an estimated 75,000 teenagers. Um, And they talk about the wording in this being really important. Listen to this. The program is going to train hundreds of teens to be peer advocates to help provide information about safe sex and relationships and the services provided in these high school-based Planned Parenthood centers. Listen to that. So this is the equivalent of saying, hey, uh, we are taking taxpayer money uh, in order to train teenagers to bring other teenagers into a Planned Parenthood clinic that is based in their local high school. Anybody see a problem with this? Uh, It's also important to note that because it's a health center, information, I'm reading here from the article, information about the appointments and those served will be protected medical files not accessible to school officials. Also, under California law, minors can consent to uh, medical services and therefore um, things like birth control, mental health counseling, and even abortion do not require parental consent. So, um, parents, you need to be aware of this. And those of you who are concerned about life need to be aware of this. Those of you who are concerned about education need to be aware of this. Those of you who are concerned about the way taxpayer dollars are are used need to be aware of this. Um, I think that it's important to note that these are spiritual conversations. The conversation about the fertility rate is a spiritual conversation. And the conversation about what's happening in our public schools related to life and life-related issues, sexuality um, and reproduction, Right. Pregnancy, pregnancy prevention, pregnancy intervention, abortion. These are spiritual conversations. And so uh, wherever you are today, whoever you're talking with, whatever conversations are under consideration, maybe you could find a way to have a conversation about babies and how great they are and how important it is not only for there to be babies, but for us to then care for them. That you and I would. take into our lives as a sacred trust the children whom God uh, ordained should live in this next generation. So uh, it's baby day. I think I think we should be celebrating babies today. So congratulations. If uh, if you are a person who has a baby, let's uh, let's celebrate that. Let's uh, let's count fingers and toes today. Let's um, let's look those little babies in the eye. Let's participate not only in their physical, but their spiritual and emotional development. If you're out in the world today and you see somebody who has a baby, man, offer a hand. Now, you can't offer to hold their baby like that's going to freak people out, but you could offer to hold their stuff. Like, don't let people who are struggling out there in the world with babies, don't let them go it alone. Come alongside. Let's be the network of relationships that supports people who've got, um, who've got babies at home and babies out there in the world. 
Let's be the baby. Let's be pro-baby people, not just pro-life people. Let's be pro-baby. All right. Uh, next up, I'm going to be talking with Adam Carrington. There are a number of cases coming before the Supreme Court this year that we want you to be up to date on. Um, we're also going to uh, talk a little bit about what is going on with the FISA court. I know this is, sounds kind of wonky, but it's really important. Um, and so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So there's a lot going on uh, at, at the intersection of religious freedom and what we would call SOGI claims, sexual orientation, gender identity claims. Um, these issues are relevant to schools and school systems. These conversations are relevant to Christian universities and to Christians who um, own and operate businesses. These are conversations that are not just confined to whether or not um, something would be required to happen on your church campus. It's a little, the, the, the law is very clear that churches that are expressly churches, that are expressly religious institutions, do not have to hire, um, nor do they have to entertain on their campus things that violate their religious conscience. The question is, um, do those same protections extend to those of us who are people of religious faith, but who are operating outside of the institutional church? Um, and when I say that, you know, I'm I'm understanding the word church the way the government is defining it here, not the way we would define it in terms of the church is deployed everywhere the Christian is present and the body of Christ is active in the world today. So there's like Big C Church, the Church of Jesus Christ that, that is described by theologians as invisible, present everywhere that a Christian is present, um, and the church visible, which is, you know, the, the visible expression of the church on the corner, the brick and mortar reality of the church. There's, there are a number of cases coming before the U.S. Supreme Court this year and percolating up to the Supreme Court um, that are at this intersection of religious liberty and uh, sexual orientation, gender identity claims. And I'm going to have a conversation with Adam Carrington about those cases up next. Okay, so maybe you need a Bible. And you have been, uh, for whatever reason, waiting to get one. Although well, there are free Bibles available on uh, online via apps. If you would like uh, a Bible that, you know, you can hold in your hands and turn the page. And one that is supplemented with study notes by a really uh, extraordinary um, pastor. His name was Charles Spurgeon. He is now with the Lord. But preacher Charles Spurgeon um, has something called the Spurgeon Study Bible. Truth for Life put this together. It has excerpts from some of Spurgeon's most popular sermons, um, and it, it's it's really fantastic. We are giving away a copy of the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible each week this month. All you have to do to enter to win is go to MyFaithRadio.com and let us know that you would like one. That's the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible available at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. When was the last time you humbled yourself and spoke those two giant words? I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I once witnessed an entire family break down and sob when the father asked each member to forgive him for the way he'd handled himself in their relationship. It was a humble, sincere apology. Every heart in the room melted and anger and resentment began to lift. I challenge you to take the dad's example. It's time to start steering your home in the right direction and fostering respect in those you love. 
Your team may seem like a fortress with high walls and a locked gate, but seeking forgiveness may unlock the door to his or her heart. Just say those two powerful words, I'm sorry. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Joining me now, uh, Dr. Adam Carrington. Adam is a professor at Hillsdale College. Uh, He teaches at what I would describe as the intersection of politics and faith. You can find him at hillsdale.edu. You can also find him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be back. Hope uh, everyone had a great uh, Christmas and, and New Year. Amen. Great Christmas and New Year. I will say that this morning as I came down the steps and um, Christmas still needs to go back into the attic, it has been, it has made its way back into its uh, its associated um, Christmas bins, but those bins have not made their way to the attic. So it did occur to me this morning, Christmas is not going to put itself away. No, uh, it's always much f- more fun to put them away or put it, put it up <laughs> than to put them away. I, I don't play Bing Crosby when I'm putting away the Christmas tree. So, no. OK, yeah. but I do hear news. I do hear news, you know, over the wire um, that you and your wife are um, celebrating what I am celebrating today as like baby day. Yes, uh, <laughs> I was mentioning that uh, we are expecting a little baby girl in May. And uh, I, I was mentioning uh, off air to Paul that I think he remembers that a, a couple years ago when our first daughter was born, which was in May as well. Um, we, I actually did one of these, one, an episode of this show from our, uh, the hospital parking lot while we were still in the hospital waiting to get out. So now that's devotion. Uh, that's all I can that say. That's total devotion, devotion man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a joy cause, uh, I, we got to just talk about the little girl who at that point was already starting to become the center of our world. So I just love it. I just love it. And now she's going to be a big sister and it's all very exciting and, um, Thank you for doing your part um, to replace the 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 generation. Um, so to keep the you know replacement rate up at up where it needs to be. That's what my uh, lead was this morning. That the U.S. replacement rate we've fallen below the replacement rate. We're now at one point seven three. We need to be at two point one zero. So thanks for doing your part. Yeah, well, that on on a on a more uh, intellectual, broader note. I mean, you, you should thank my wife more than me. She she, she goes through a lot more uh, problems than I do for for, for delivery. But uh, but yeah, that's no that that is a fascinating point too because uh, I think how healthy a society is is often measured by how willing it is to have and invest in children, and uh, I, I think that that is a certain crisis of our own time that. We, 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 we're not investing in, in having children and in, and in uh, getting married and doing the things that sort of build and structure a society in the next generation. Um, so, yeah, I th- I'm glad you brought that up. That's been a, a, a concern of, of ours here at Hillsdale as well. Absolutely. All right. Let's turn our attention to some things that are on the national radar at sort of the intersection of religious liberty and sexual orientation or gender identity claims. We've got some things Um, that are percolating uh, at the U.S. Supreme Court. Talk with us about um, what we're expecting to hear or, well, I don't know. We don't know what we're expecting to hear, but we will hear from the court on the Harris Funeral Home case. Remind us about that. 
Right. Uh, that actually originated here in Michigan, uh, just down the road from 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 where I live. And it it, it involves a funeral home employee that uh, was born biologically male and uh, worked at a funeral home and said, I am now going to have surgeries and other things to transition to female and was then fired uh, for that reason. And the funeral home was then sued under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That's a big law, a bill that uh, uh, regulates a lot of employer, employee, and other relationships. Uh, and what the uh, the court is trying to decide is Title VII says you can't, as an employer, discriminate against an employee. Uh, the word, the phrase is because of sex. Um, now, everyone agrees that that means to some degree uh, not uh, following, uh, uh, not firing someone because they're male or female. But what does it mean when someone is transgender? Um, and that's the question they're really trying to figure out. And on the uh, on the other side, trying to figure out whatever they decide there, what about the fact of why this employer fired this employee? He said he did it for uh, religious reasons, that he believes that uh, a transgender status violates um, norms of Christianity and therefore that he should have a right to, to fire his employee for that reason. So uh, this was already argued last fall, but it's going to be one of the biggest cases to come out probably later this spring. I think they're going to spend a lot of time writing opinions on this, and it is going to be probably the biggest case about sexual orientation that has come out of the Supreme Court since Obergefell and will have a lot of aftershocks either way, regardless of whether the court sides with the employer or the employee. And Obergefell there is a reference to the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court to uh, redefine, essentially redefine marriage, uh, no longer as between a male and a female, but between two persons. And that decision came down in 2015 and has radically, uh, it, has just, it has really had some radical uh, implications for the culture at large. I would say the redefinition of sex, should the Supreme Court go in that direction, is also going to have really important ramifications um, for schools, for, um, well, for all of us, um, but for, let's say, athletics, gender-specific sports, private spaces like bathrooms or changing rooms, women's rights. I mean, just just all kinds of things. So this is a really big case. And if if you don't mind me just saying one more thing related to that that I think is, because that's really helpful to say, is a lot of this is what does it mean to gender stereotype? That uh, that the the court has interpreted Title VII to say you can't stereotype based on gender. You can't sort of force how men and women should act onto men and women if it's just made up. But if if this decision goes for the employee, it really could reduce any attempt to distinguish men and women in any realistic way as a gender stereotype, and goes back to you know, a, a kind of uh, whether Christian anthropology about what it means to be human and what it means to be created in the image of God, but also male and female. What does that even mean and what can the law do in relation to it? And I think it has all those ramifications you're talking about as a result of how that's de- decided. Really, uh, you know, mammoth conversation topics. Um, I think we should also note here that the U.S. Congress has before it uh, what is something that, in my view, is euphemistically called the Equality Act. Um, and so that is a pending piece of legislation that's going to be a part of this larger conversation as well. Hey, Adam and I have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to pivot and um, look at a couple of cases 
that are going to come before the Supreme Court, going to hear oral arguments on one of these cases on January the 22nd. Um, So we're going to just continue our conversation about what is coming before the U.S. Supreme Court. The reason that we have these conversations is the decisions that are made at the U.S. Supreme Court affect us all. Um, These are conversations that um, uh, that are relevant to what happens in our day to day lives and what happens in our public schools and what happens in our public spaces and increasingly what happens in our private spaces, including the church. So uh, I've got more with Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College up next. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College, we are talking about things happening at the intersection of faith and politics, returning to our conversation about what is happening at the U.S. Supreme Court. I know there's um, the the court's going to start hearing oral arguments, I guess, next week. So tell us what's uh, what's coming up. Right. Uh, well, the big case that you uh, previewed earlier uh, before before the break is uh, Espinoza versus uh, the Depo- Department uh, uh, Mon- Montana, basically, their government. And uh, I think listeners will be interested in this. It's about uh, there was a 2015 law in Montana where you could get a tax credit if you donated to uh, scholarship funds for private schools. But Montana has what a lot of states have, uh, 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 which is called a Blaine Amendment. And the Blaine Amendment basically says uh, a government, state governments can't directly or indirectly give money to religious uh, purposes or religious organizations. And so someone and so basically certain people trying to donate to uh, private Christian schools, uh, scholarship funds basically got said, you you can't do that under this law because of of the Blaine Amendment. And so what's interesting is this is going to go before the Supreme Court and it's really going to ask, um, can uh, uh, a private religious schools be on the same footing as other private organizations when it comes to how taxpayers uh, try to you know donate to their scholarship programs and uh, what's interesting is uh, there the, the, these Blaine amendments uh, are actually have a long history that go back to often attempts to shut down private Catholic schools and keep them from having the support of the state in any way, shape, or form. But at this point, it's now coming back to to, to bite both Protestant and Catholic schools. And so it'll be interesting uh, in the broader religious liberty debates, how can uh, religious entities come to the table on an equal footing with others or not? And that's going to be, I think, the fundamental underlying question they're going to ask here. So some of the things that I've read related to this, I mean, I, I were surprising to me. I didn't know that the Blaine, I didn't know that the Blaine Amendment was in effect in, I don't know, the majority of states, something like 30, 37, I guess, states still have a Blaine Amendment on the books. Um, I didn't realize that originally that was actually to suppress Catholic schools. Um, I didn't, I, I didn't know that was a part of this history. Um, I also didn't know the numbers related to uh, the the percentage of students across the country who attend schools that, you know, that are private and therefore are um, not publicly funded. And we're talking about, you know, a pretty massive number of not only students, but therefore families that are impacted by these kinds of decisions. So this is certainly going to be um, a case to watch. What else do you have your eye on in terms of the Supreme Court this season? 
Right. So that's the big one coming up uh, in a week or so. But actually, a- another one is uh, June Medical Services versus uh, a Gee, and that's a uh, the Louisiana abortion law, and it's it's a law that's similar to the one that the court struck down in Texas about admitting privileges, whether abortion providers have to be able to uh, give continuous care in a hospital if something happens to uh, someone they're uh, trying to uh, give an abortion for. But uh, I think what this one is going to be interesting for, obviously, protecting women's health is go- is an important question of this. But the broader question is going to be with two new Supreme Court justices, Justice Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, who are not on the court with the old decision. Um, how open is this court going to be to uh, restrictions on abortion, regulation of abortion, especially with all the states that in the past year have passed very restrictive uh, bans on, on, on abortion procedures or on when one can have an abortion. And are they, as some people hope, even open to reconsidering Roe v. Wade, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, some of these cases that are the foundation for the uh, recognition of a, of a constitutional right to an abortion. And so I think a lot of people are going to be interested for what it does for women, but I think even more are going to be interested, where does the court want to go going forward for uh, abortion regulation and the life of the unborn and all these questions? Okay, and then I I don't know how um, effectively you and I can cover what's going on in Washington, D.C. related to um, the development of the FISA court and protections um, that we you know now recognize are needed um, following the revelations related to the FISA process um, in terms of investigations that you know are going on really behind the scenes. Um, do you think that you and I in a couple of minutes can can unpack that? We, we we can try. Uh, okay. They, uh, and and I, I maybe the thing to take away if, uh, if the short version is, you know, these courts which are pretty private, they're pretty secretive, and they need to be because they're about how um, uh, the the national security investigates American and other pe- persons living in the United States about whether they're involved in terrorism, whether they're involved in national security questions. So there's amount of secrecy that's needed. But what we saw in the reports that have come out about how uh, the Trump campaign was investigated and other things is uh, there's a lot of abuse in how this is done. And that uh, even in a case against a, a, a presidential candidate and then a sitting president, where you would think they would be extra careful of the rights of the of the person being investigated, uh, they weren't. And I think that uh, if any bipartisan good could come out of that investigation, one would hope it would be, and there's some rumblings of it, that um, more protections and more openness to protect American citizens is done in how... uh, 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 how these how Americans are being investigated privately or secretively by uh, those trying to keep us safe from terrorism. I think that's the sort of it's the security versus liberty dichotomy and how you balance them that's at stake here. And it seems like we need to recalibrate it more for individual security as opposed to national security than we have been the last couple of years. I feel like you and I are probably going to have lots of conversations this year and going forward um, about privacy. 
and and personal um, information and all of those kinds of things. So thank you, Adam, for joining us today. As always, you can find Dr. Carrington at Hillsdale College. You can also find him on Twitter at Carrington AM. Adam, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay, I feel fairly certain that there are times that my producer, Paul Perot, uh, rolls his eyes in the studio because I, I find Was myself, it that audible? Well, <laughs> I find myself responding to things that I hear during these breaks, and I'm like, leap year? Leap year? That means there's a leap day. Right. When is leap day? Paul, when is leap day? And February like, whoa, 29th. Whoa, I got other things I'm doing. <laughs> I'm like running the board and I'm getting our guests. And he's like, it's February the 29th. I'm like, so does it happen? Like we have leap year when we have leap day and this. So therefore, this is a leap year. Not that we're leaping over. All right. Well, anyway, it's all very exciting. Um, okay. So it's going to be a leap year and we're going to have leap day on the 29th of February. I am going to find a way to celebrate it. Maybe you already have plans for leap day. I clearly do not. So, um, you know, I like information from the listening audience. If you've got some thoughts on Leap Day this leap year, I obviously need those. So you can text me at 877-933-2484 or share your Leap Day, Leap Year ideas with me. Christian Worldview, right? Like, I'm going to have to come up with something for the 29th of February that, that I, like, make a connection to reconnecting the eternal with the everyday because that's what I do. But I'm going to need some help. So you can email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. We got a whole nother hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. I'm going to have a conversation with Valerie Burton. She's the author of a book called Life Coaching for Successful Women. I feel like I need that. And so she's coming on to talk with us um, about that. It's really a book of questions that's kind of fun. And then we're going to visit with Dr. David Aikman about all of the royal drama in Great Britain. That's up next in the next hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.